Well, good morning, Grace Point. Um, my name is Luke, and uh, I'm the high school pastor at our Fremont campus. Um, and so it's, I've been up here a few times, um, and it's a good being back up here. Harold's hopefully having a great time on his vacation. Um, a little bit about me, though. Uh, I'm, I've been married for five years uh, now, and uh, we've... Uh, my wife actually grew up over in this area, and so we had a lot of dates in this area. And then uh, we uh, now have a three-year-old little girl named Jada, and she's got way too much energy. Um, and she, you know, she just has a personality. Uh, but she's a blast, blessing. Uh, we're actually now expecting our on our second one uh, coming this May. So we're thanks. Um, we are, we're looking forward to that, um, and w- with that, there's, a, I, I learned a little bit the first go around, and I still am a fairly new dad, uh, I feel like, so I've got a lot of learning still to go through, um, but on that first with Jada, um, there was a lot of questions that I had, you know, and there's a lot of like, I, I never really changed a diaper before. I, I think I had one diaper before I changed Jada's, and so um, never really held a newborn. Um, so that was intimidating. They're handing you something so frail that you're just like, if I, what if I drop her? <laughs> you're, you're, I, I'm hoping I'm not the only one that had those kind of weird questions because it sounds like so wrong when you say it like that then. Um, but so I had a lot of questions, a lot of like, and then, but before Jada even got there, there's a lot of like, hey, there's waiting, there's the unexpectancy, there's of the expectancy. Um, but then there's, that was funnier than it was given credit for, but there was the unknown that was, you know, just with the pregnancy in general, um, that is exciting. There's a lot of excitement, but there's a lot of, for me, it was a lot of nerve wracking. I was nervous, but it's kind of like with our series that we, we're starting this morning, living in the light of his return. And so Paul is writing uh, these two letters, First and Second Thessalonians, and he's writing this to the church in Thessalonica, and he's writing them because they're primed to hear about the return of Christ. And so they're excited. They're, they're excited about hearing Jesus, about his return, him coming back, just like many of us. You know, when we think about our culture and we think about the way our country might be moving, and and I know as a pastor, I get asked sometimes, like, hey, is the stuff that we are seeing right now, is is that like the mark of like the end times? Is this what like it's talking about through when we see prophecies about the end times? Are we living it right now? Is Jesus going to come back any second, any moment right now? Well, we're going to spend time in the series talking about living in the light of His return. Um, and just like I have a lot of waiting to begin to do again with this pregnancy, um, and I got a lot of excitement, I still got a lot of questions. We got a lot of questions regarding the return, the second coming of Christ. But it should make us excited. It should make us, you know, even though waiting, not fun, not exciting, it should make the wait worth it. So 
what I want to do this morning is I, I want to kind of just give us a brief overview and give us some background information about why is Paul even writing to First and Second Thessalonians. Uh, and, and why is he writing to the church there in Thessalonica? But then also walk us through a first, the first few chapters there. That they, they honestly, I'll give you a little bit, they honestly don't do a lot of talking about the return. Okay, but we're going to get into that in the series. Harold's going to be back and he'll, he'll get in all of that. But well, just a little bit of background information for you. Maybe some will find this interesting. Maybe some you, you won't find this interesting at all. But Th- Thessalonica, it was, it, it's a really important city. And so um, when it was founded, it was in 350 BC by Alexander the Great. And he names it after his stepsister. Don't know why. Decided to be a little nice, I guess. Uh, names after sister. It's uh, during Paul's time. It would be in the capital of the province of Macedonia. So it's an important city. It's a capital, but it's also important because of the fact that of its location. Um, it was founded. It was it was on a seaport, and so there was a lot of trade that would take place. There was a lot of commerce. There's a lot of money that would go through in and out of Thessalonica. But then it was also on the this this highway called Via Ignatia. So it was a the turnpike, if you want to call it, between Asia and Europe. And so anybody wanting to travel from Asia to Europe or Europe to Asia, they would have to go through Thessalonica. So there was a lot of travel going through it. There's a lot of business travel, a lot of different face going through because only 50 miles away was this mount called Mount Olympus where they believed Zeus, they believed Apollos, they believed other Greek gods lived. And so you have a, a, a city with filled with a lot of travel, money, with different face. But people going, hey, there's more than just one God. There's many gods. And that's how they lived. So when Paul walks in, if you know the context of Acts 17, where, where Paul first finds himself there in Thessalonica, Paul's walking in and teaching something, sharing something completely opposite of what their culture said and believed. Paul's going, hey, there's only one God, not many gods. There's only one way to heaven, not many ways. And when he's staring that truth, some believed, while others rejected it. And in Thessalonica, Paul, when he was on these journeys throughout all of Acts, he would go to these cities and he would typically stay there for a few weeks. And so here in Thessalonica, it was no different. He shows up, he shares the gospel, and he, he's able to start teaching them, walking through them through some basic beliefs and basic doctrine that he's helping them to understand. And then he's kind of forced out of Thessalonica because of the opposition, because people don't really like the fact that their culture is changing around them. Changing for what God has called it to. So they chase Paul out of Thessalonica. Paul, fearing his life, leaves. And then, a while later, Paul is, finds himself thinking about them. 
You know, he's, he goes there. He starts this church. And, and, and he's thinking, hey, I wonder how they're doing. There was a bunch of tension there when I left. I wonder how that church has, has stood. I wonder how they're doing. They don't have a telephone, so they, he sends Silas, he sends Timothy to kind of re, get a report. Sends them, and so this is where we are in uh, 1 Thessalonians 1, verse 1. It says, Paul and Salvanius and Timothy and, uh, to the church of Thessalonians and God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, grace to you and peace. So we have... Paul sending Silas, Silas, a reliable, faithful servant of Christ. Timothy, some would say it's Paul's son in faith, in the faith. Or or Timothy was just a young leader in the church. So Paul sends these two young guys to to get this report. And so this is, again, what Paul's saying. And again, in verse 2, we give, Paul says, We give thanks to God always for all of you making mention of you in our prayers, constantly bearing in mind your work of faith and labor of love and steadfastness of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ in His presence of our God and Father. This is something that's kind of unique about Paul. If you look at his writings and his letters, and he always is giving thanks. He's not the, he's not the half glass empty you know, kind of person. He's looking at things on the bright side. He's always turning and giving thanks to God, which is a kind of a good thing to think about. Do we are we always are we some are we people who look for the negative in situations or circumstances, or are we giving thanks? Like even Paul in other letters that he's writing to churches, he gives thanks for them. For that church, but he even he has to go in and deal with some tough subjects sometimes in some of those churches, because some of them have walked away from solid doctrine, solid teaching, where they started adapting to the culture around them and bringing it inside the church. And so, some of the letters that Paul has to write are tough love letters to people he loves and cares about, but. The cool part about the books of 1st and 2nd Thessalonians is Paul is not doing that. He's, he gets to go and he gets to encourage them. And that's what he's going to do in chapter 1, the rest of it here. Uh, but Paul, he gets to look at them. He's looking at their, their, their faith. He's looking at the way they love. He's looking at their hope. He's going, I, I constantly bear in mind the work of your faith, the way you are growing, hope that you're growing, the labor of your love. Hey, are you, you loving and caring about one another? You're the steadfastness of the hope that you, you aren't moving, you aren't shaken. So it goes on in verse 4. He says, Knowing, brethren, beloved by God, His choice of you. For our gospel did not come to you in word only, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit and with full conviction. Just as you know what kind of men we proved to be among you for your sake, you also became imitators of us and of the Lord, having received the word in much tribulation with the joy of the Holy Spirit, so that you became an example to all believers in Macedonia and Achaia, for the word of the Lord has sounded forth from you. 
Not only in Macedonia and Achaia, but also in every place your faith toward God has gone forth. So that we have no need to say anything. For they themselves report about us what kind of reception we had with you. And how you turned to God from idols to serve a living and true God. And to wait for His Son from heaven, who He raised from the dead, that is Jesus, who rescues us from the wrath to come. There's a lot there. Paul is going to go, look, man, as we walked in to Thessalonica, and you got to see the way we lived, and we, we taught our life, how practically, our faith practically lived out, as you got to do life with us, You became imitators of that. And not just of our life, but of God's. You became an imitator of God. Receiving the word in a difficult time with joy. So much so that you have become an example to not just the church around you, other believers in the area around you, but you have impacted outside of our area, outside of Macedonia, outside of Achaia. You have, everywhere you have gone, the gospel has gone forth. So that Paul's going, I don't even have to say anything. It's kind of funny. Like Paul, he's like a, he, he's writing these letters and he's like, I, the report I got back is, you're doing so good. I don't even really need to say anything. I, I, I read in, well, I was told in college by a professor, when you're dealing with these kind of letters that Paul was writing, um, you, can, you can put yourself there in the shoes of being the one that Paul's writing to. So if uh, Paul's writing to me, and it's something I love to do. Paul's, let's say Paul's writing to Luke, and, and he's, he's writing to me, and he's saying, okay, hey Luke, is your life, you know, as you're looking at God's Word, is your life an example worth following for not just other believers, but also is it everywhere you go for, is the gospel going do you, can, can people see that in your life? Like, I, I imagine Paul in writing this, I would hope that he could write at the very end, he could like, man, Luke, you're doing so good, I don't even have to do anything. I don't have to say anything. But I probably, right, probably the, the truth is that there would be some things Paul would have to challenge me on, right? There's some things that Paul would have to work on us with. Church Thessalonica is a church that, man, it exemplifies going through difficulties, tribulation, hardship. But they live out their faith. Their, the word was, it was out about their faith. It was, it, Paul, he's getting this report back and he's just blown away. You know, he was fearing for his life when he left. And now he's like, you guys are... It's going well. 
It, like you, you're seeing people come to know Jesus. That, like there's there's nothing more that I can say. Well done. Like great job. He's giving thanks. He, he has so much to give thanks about. But he also knows <coughs> because of the difficulties that he saw there. And because of what Timothy is coming back and telling him. He's saying, hey, even though the church is going great, there's opposition outside of the church that is trying to destroy the church. There's people who are saying things outside the church about the church, and mainly they're, saying, they're talking about the leaders of the church. They're attacking Paul. They're, they're attacking, so Paul in chapter 2, he, he deals with kind of the attacks on him. And, and I don't think Paul's necessarily trying to defend himself. Like uh, on, He's going on defense and saying, I, I'm, I'm, I didn't do any of that stuff. But they're addressing Paul as a fake, as a liar. So Paul says in verse 3 of chapter 2, he says, For the exhortation... For our, for our teaching, our preaching, it, it does not come from error or impurity or by way of deceit. It, it, it doesn't come by lies or impure motives. It doesn't tr- come by trying to deceive a bunch of people into believing this. But just as we have been approved by God to be entrusted for the go- with the gospel, so we speak men, but God who examines our hearts. For we never came forth with flattering speech, as you know, nor the pretext for greed. God is witness. Nor did we seek for glory for men, from men, either from you or from others. Even though, as apostles of Christ, we might have asserted our authority, but we've proved to be gentle among you as nursing mother tenderly cares for her own children. I don't, I don't think Paul's on his heels. I don't think Paul's though also being aggressive here. Like Paul in other times, he's definitely more aggressive calling out and kind of saying, shut up. Paul's not doing that. He, I, I, to me, it's a little bit humorous reading because I think for Paul, as he's writing this, there's a, all the context of before he ever came to Thessalonica. So Acts 17, where he finds himself in Thessalonica, right before that, he's in Philippi. He's in this city. And, and it, I, I taught through this in our high school in, in, in Fremont um, and this summer. And in Acts 16, it's kind of interesting that Paul, he has all these different directions that Paul wants to go. He's on this, he's, he's a mission-minded guy, right? He, he wants to share the gospel. He's passionate about his faith. He had this, the, the road to Damascus, his life changes forever when he meets Jesus. And now he's sharing the gospel everywhere he goes. And, and, and so God keeps shutting the doors on him, Right? And he couldn't, he can't go this direction. It feels like the door's closed. He can't go this one. And then all of a sudden he finds himself in Philippi. 
And you're, you're just wondering, why is he, like, Paul, it seemed like Paul had some pretty good ideas, uh, pretty good directions where he wanted to go. But God closes all those doors, gets him in Philippi. He finds himself there. There's a woman there named Lydia. No one there in Philippi is a believer. The first person that Paul comes across, Lydia, and he shares the gospel with Lydia. Lydia gets saved, decides on Jesus. She understands that she is broken. She needs a Savior. She's destined for hell without God. So she gives her life over to God, and, and not only Lydia, but her whole entire family. Paul, it probably is like, man, okay, God, it makes sense why you have me here, right? You close all those doors so I can share the gospel of Lydia. And Lydia becomes the first convert to Christianity in all of Europe. But then, there's kind of what seemed to always kind of follow after Paul shares truth. People start giving their life to Jesus. There's opposition. Paul finds himself then, shortly after that, in Acts 16, he finds himself being beaten, arrested to being beaten with the rods where his back is opened up. Then he finds himself in prison, chained. And it's easy for all of us in that moment, it would be easy for all of us to complain or even ask why. And and I I don't think it's wrong to ask why when we're going through difficult moments. But what is our first response when we go through difficult moments? Yeah. But Paul's in Acts 16, his first response is worship, praise, giving thanks. He gives thanks. And, and if you know the rest of the story, and probably most of you do, uh, that Paul, there's, God performs His miracle, right? Earthquake. Jailer gets knocked out. And, and, and the, the prison doors are open. Their chains are broken loose. They, they, could, they have like the get out of jail free card, right? And, and Paul, the jailer wakes up, right? And he wakes up and he's fearing for his life, but also his family's lives. Because if, if all the prisoners are gone, he's not just dead, but his whole family's dead. And so he's thinking, rather than letting my family pay for my mistake, my crimes, I'm just going to end my life so that they won't have to pay for it. So he, gets, he, he pulls out his knife. He's going to kill himself. And, and then Paul yells out from the shadows of the prison cell, Hey, don't hurt yourself. We're all still here. We're all, we're all just chilling. And the jailer's shocked. And I, I asked the high school this summer, I was like, well, you know, I, I always, I've always, I've known this story a long time. And I was reading it this year, and I'm thinking, man, if that was me, I, and I saw a, a miracle, the, the, the earthquake, the jail cells opened up, I would have been like, okay, God, you opened this door for me. Now let's go, right? We would have taken the, we would have taken the way out. But what does Paul do? He waits. He sits there going, no, God, I know... I probably could take a way out here. 
And I probably, I don't see that, that is, there's any reason it would have been wrong for Paul to even left there. But Paul was like, okay, God, you had me here for a reason. You have a plan for me. I'm just going to stay. And I'm just going to figure out, maybe later, you'll unveil that plan to me. And then shortly later, the jailer wakes up. Paul yells out to him. Paul then gets a share of the gospel with the jailer. The jailer gives his life to Christ with his whole entire family. Because Paul waited. Like we sometimes, we don't enjoy waiting. We hate it. But while we're waiting, what are we doing? We're living on mission. That's what, that's like in the context of all what's happening here in, in the beginning of chapter 2, to me, well, as Paul's writing this, he's like, hey, remember? You know, remember when I showed up to Thessalonica and I was beaten? I looked pretty rough. It looked like I just got in a brawl, which I was the one that lost. And the, I, I walk up, and I'm sharing this gospel. None of that was about me. None of it was about me trying to gain status. I was, I'm at the lowest, that I can't get anywhere. I, it, none of this is about me. None of it's with impure motives or, or, or lies or to deceive you. This is all about God. Sure enough, the church of Thessalonica, they knew Paul's story, right? They knew his life. They knew who he was before he knew Christ. They knew he was a murderer. They knew he was, he was beating Christians. He was the persecutor. To now, he's going, you know what? I'm being persecuted because I'm in love with Christ. I've had... It's a counter with the real God, the one true God, and He's changed me. He's forgiven me. So Paul's going, you guys were a witness of that. And God is my witness. I, I'm not seeking glory for men or even you guys. Seek it from God. Then he goes on and he, and he says, For you recall, brethren, our labor and hardship, how working night and day so as not to be a burden to any of you, we proclaim to you the gospel of God. You are witnesses, and so is God. How devoutly and uprightly and blamelessly we behave towards you believers. Just as you know, how we were exhorting and encouraging and imploring each one of you as a, as a father would his own children, so that you would walk in a manner worthy of God who calls you into His own kingdom and glory. Here's Paul giving a challenge. The very end. Do we walk in a manner right now worthy of God? Not just on a Sunday, every single day. Tomorrow when we go into work, are we living a life at work? Are we living a life when we get off and clock out? Are we living a life that's worthy? 
If we have come to the point of trusting in Jesus, deciding on Him, and He's changed our life, does it show? Are we walking in a manner worthy of God who calls you into His own kingdom and His glory, His holiness? Paul ends this chapter where he says, For who is our hope, our joy, our crown of exaltation? Is it not even you in the presence of the Lord Jesus at His coming? For you are our glory and joy. Like, it's kind of weird. It sounds really good, but it, it sounds a little bit weird to me because isn't it supposed to be, God, Jesus, you are, you're my joy, you're my hope. You're, 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 the, you're the glory. But he says, hey, church, Thessalonica, for you are our glory and our joy. So what is he saying? You know, so I think there's a little context there in the chapter 2, where one, he says earlier, he uses, but we prove to be gentle among you as nursing mother tenderly cares for his own children. And then, Later, he goes, in verse 11, he goes, Just as you know how we were exhorting and encouraging and imploring each one of you as a father would his own children. He acts like a parent. Just like any of us, when our kids would, will do something right or do something good, man, it excites us. It makes us feel really good. Paul's putting himself as the parent over the church. In Thessalonica, and he's like, man, when I've seen you do really good things, great things, it excites me. It pumps me up. And so there's one day we get to stand in front of the presence of God, and it excites me. You know, I, I have this privilege as a, as a pastor, um, where, um, especially over students, that we do this the event every year. Um, last year with COVID didn't happen, but this year we're back in at, in it and doing it, and it's our Calhar retreat. And so sixth grade through twelfth grade, also shameless plug. Uh, you got a student; they should be going into the Calhar retreat. Um, but here's why: every year, I, I there's students from all over. There's our students from our church, and we pull this off. Our our church as collectively as Grace Community Church as a whole, we, we pull this event off. Um, and so it's for over 2,000 students from churches all over Ohio, Indiana, Pennsylvania, Michigan. Sometimes a little, some churches come up from Kentucky. Churches from all over. And, and, and collecting a group in a room of, with 2,000 students in this giant ballroom of Kalahari. And there's these moments that I, I just love. And um, where I get to, just as one of the leaders, there's a, there's a lift there, this pull off all the tech side of things and all this production stuff that has to go on. Um, but there's a lift that I, I like to make sure that it's behind the screen so nobody sees it. And, and so what I try to do, because the music's up and it's loud, it's, you know, it's for students. And so I can lift up the lift and nobody hears it going up. And I get to about where the, the screens are, and I can get right above the screens, and there's a cool photo that, that's right there. Um, because you get this big old room, and you got these 2,000 students there, and they're all sitting there and worshiping God. But uh, So in that moment, I, I like to do a few things. I like to pray. 
and I like to sit there. But there's, there's something that I've learned about worship, and, and a lot of it I like to sing, you know. But for me, there's a moment that has developed as a pastor for me that I like to sit back every once in a while and watch people worship. And that might be weird. <laughs> I don't know. But to me, it's like what Paul is saying here at the end. There's going to be a day that we're all in His presence. And Paul was like, as a parent of, of this church of Thessalonica, man, I get to sit back. and I not, It's not praising me. It's not praising what I, that I've done anything. It's, it's not praising even you. That you've done anything. It's praising God, saying, look at how God has worked in your guys' lives. Look, we're all here in God's presence. All, what we've always dreamt of, what we've always were hoping for, even through all those difficult times on earth, the tribulation, the, the hardship. And now, look at us. We're here in the presence of God. For me, uh, by the way, Kalahari Tree, every year, I get to see thousands of students just encounter God. Amen. And there is nothing like that moment. It, it is the, the coolest moment getting to sit back and go, look God at what you're doing. I get not every single one of them know Jesus, but look at how you are working. It's not I don't do anything. God, it's all you. I, I just get to be this small little tool on earth that you get to use. My life I need to live it in a, such a manner that it's worthy of God right now. Then Paul ends chapter 3, and I'm just going to read through this quick, where Paul is telling about what Timothy has kind of come back to say. And he says, Therefore, when we in, could endure it no longer, we thought it best to be left behind at Athens alone. And we sent Timothy, our, our brother and, and God's fellow worker in the gospel of Christ, to strengthen and encourage you as to your faith, so that no one would be disturbed by these afflictions. For you yourselves know that we have been destined for this. For indeed, when we were with you, we kept telling you in advance that we were going to suffer affliction. And so it came to pass. And as you know, for this reason, when I could endure it no longer, I also sent to find out about your faith. For fear that the tempter, Satan, might have tempted you. And our labor, our, our hard work would have been in vain. But now that Timothy has come to us from you and has brought us good news of your faith and your love, and that you always think kindly of us, longing to see us, just as we also long to see you. For this reason, brethren, in all our distress and affliction, we were comforted about you through your faith, for now we really live. If you stand firm in the Lord, for what thanks can we render to God for you in return for all the joy with which we rejoice before our God on your account? as we night and day keep praying most earnestly that we may see your face and may com complete what is lacking in your faith. Now may our God and Father Himself and Jesus our Lord direct our way to you. 
And may the Lord cause you to increase and abound in love for one another and for all the people, just as we also do for you, so that He may establish your hearts without blame and holiness before our God and Father at the coming of our Lord Jesus with all the saints. A lot, lot there. But really, it's all just Paul saying, Timothy, hey, Timothy came back and said, you guys are doing great. You're doing good. The church there is, your, your faith is strong. Your, your love for each other is strong. And he ends with a challenge of saying, hey, love, keep, keep going. Keep loving each other. Keep on doing that. There is one interesting verse that always stands out to me is verse 10. As we night and day keep praying most earnestly that we might see your face. Hey, we just long to see you. Long to be with you again. And that we would make complete what is lacking in your faith. Like he, the whole, for three chapters, he's really praised them about their faith. But then he goes, hey, we need to complete what is lacking about your faith. Why is Paul saying that? Because Paul, for three chapters, has hinted, has mentioned the coming of Christ. In each chapter, he's pretty much done it once. I believe it's once in each chapter. He's like, hey, just reminder, hey, Christ is going to come back. The hope we have, man, he's going to come back. We can't wait. Here's a church that was prime. They're ready to hear about the second coming of Christ. They're waiting. They're excited. They're, they're walking through difficulties. And they're growing. They're, they're, not, they're, they're waiting with expectancy. Waiting with excitement for the second coming. But they're not lazy in their faith. They're, they're sharing the gospel. So what is there lacking? They're lacking this knowledge of, of the second coming. They have questions. You know, they they hear certain things. They're like, "Is this when he's coming back? Is it going to happen?" So, just like Paul left cliffhangers for three chapters, here's me leaving a cliffhanger for Harold, so that Harold can continue to talk about the second coming and the weeks coming up. Talk about how. Christ is going to return, but for us this morning, we should live in such a way right now that's worthy of God. And because of that, when we do that, our faith will get out. And despite our country and ways moving in opposition towards God, we can see it. We can see it. It, could, it, it, it makes sense that we could see opposition, afflictions, persecution even, coming to the church in the future. Despite that, we should find, we should want to be a church like Thessalonica that's standing firm in the faith that we have. Loving each other. Making sure no matter what, we are not wavering off the hope that we have in Christ. As the band kind of comes up right now, I'll lead you guys in a prayer. Dear Father, we thank you so much for this morning. We thank you for 
uh, grace point. And Lord, we thank you that we did come and we get to worship you. Lord, that we get to spend some time in your word, be encouraged by your word, Lord. And Lord, I ask. I ask for a grace point. I ask for myself and Lord that we would live a life right now worthy of you. Lord, that we would realize that that you died, that we were broken without you, needing saving. And because of you and what you've done on the cross, you taking our place, becoming our substitute, Lord, we, our life can be changed when we come and, and admit those things and confess with our mouth that we want you to become Lord over our life. And Lord, when we do that, Lord, we know through your word, you say that we are, we are forgiven, redeemed, Lord, but we also are promised there that in that new life that you give us, we are also promised eternal life with you. And Lord, because of that, we are, we are so thankful. We're so grateful. We get to wait with expect, expectancy, Lord, your return. And Lord, until then, until you come and to take us home, Lord, allow us to be bold passionate about you, living a life worthy right now of you, Lord. Lord, we love you. We praise you. In Jesus' name, amen.